Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Black Culture, Black Thought. I hope you all are doing well. I'm here with my girls, Jody and Francesca. Hey, guys. Hi, everybody. Good to be back. And so, yeah, A, I hope everybody's doing okay, and I hope everybody's healthy. Um, I feel like every day, more and more, COVID-19 is reaching into our households and is starting to like affect our families, our friends' families. So on our end, we're going to be recording a little bit more sporadically and getting uploads when we can because this is starting to get into our families. We have family members who are sick with COVID-19. So it's going to be about us sitting in recording while we take care of our families, while we'll adjust to quarantine and figure out our lives. So things are a little bit up in the air, but we're still here. And yeah. It's the reality of life. I'm doing good. Yes, it's the reality of life. So I'm doing good. My family's relatively healthy. How are you guys doing, Jody and Franny? Uh, well, we're do- we're hanging in there, you know. Yeah, um, I did lose a couple of family members throughout I'm this sorry routine, about that. but we are staying strong. We're staying prayed up and positive and productive. So that's the best we can do. Yeah. Um, my family is doing good. Um, I mean, my sister is down here with me, and my parents are up north. And far as I know, like the cases aren't bad in Massachusetts. Well, it's yeah. bad in Massachusetts, but in comparison to here, you know, so that's kind of a blessing to, to know yeah. that. I don't really have, I could worry about them, but I don't really have to worry about them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And like, I feel like this is just, it's becoming like a really scary time. And I think every day we're learning more and more, like the breakdown of how this virus is affecting our country how it's affecting different cities how it's affecting different populations Mm -hmm. and within like the last couple of weeks we are starting to get this new news that COVID-19 is hitting the black community differently than it's hitting other communities quite Mm -hmm. frankly and disproportionately too so like for example in Chicago where black people make up only 30 percent of the population but they because like they make up over like I mean, half of the cases and about 70% of those who are dying from COVID-19. Gotcha. Also in Michigan, 14 black people make up 14% of the population, a third of the cases, but yet 40% of the deaths. Mm -hmm. And then also in Louisiana, a third of the population is black, but yet they're making up 70% of those who are dying as well. And it's like, it's just like where, and I feel like, you know, the media is portraying these deaths as being contributed to underlying health conditions and the way they phrase it and the way they're framing it is making it really seem like these underlying health conditions are inherent to the black community. Like Mm -hmm. somehow we inherently are born with underlying health conditions and no way, no how is it systemically produced is socially those systemic conditionings and construction is then has social like conditioning, which then has lived experience impact. And Mm-hmm. I feel like we really need to start to get to some of the underlying, really underlying, underlying, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but like underlying <laughs> issues to the underlying health conditions. Like what are those? So you got the underlying health conditions, but what are those underlying issues that are contributing to those underlying yes, health conditions? Yes, that's what I was trying to say. Okay. The key word of the day. I was like, underlying, underlying, underlying. Yes, it's that's okay. the key word of the day. <laughs> so within this episode, we really wanted to talk about what are some of the conditions, like what are some of the um, social inequalities that the black community is facing that are really contributing to black people dying from Mm COVID-19? And 
the first thing we wanted to talk about was food justice. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to like do a quick introduction just to like, so some of the underlying health conditions is um, heart disease, asthma, and diabetes. And those like, those are making up some of the like underlying conditions that people are dying from that we're seeing in people who are dying from COVID-19. So with diabetes and heart disease, that has food related um, causes. And with diabetes, we have two types of diabetes. So diabetes one is caused by genealogy. So you're just kind of like inherent, like that's an inherent one, but that is inherent across racial boundaries. It's not inherent just as specifically to black people. I want to make that clear. But then type two diabetes is caused really by diet. And then when we're looking at diet, I think we kind of think of um, how this is more so contributed to like something that's within our control versus something that is socially constructed with, by systemic conditionings or like systemic pressures. Like, you know, like yeah. we look at our diet as something like, well, you just, you're, you eat badly. Like and that's on you and that should be within your control. If you don't like the way you look or you don't like, you're like, you're not eating healthy, change your diet. But there's it's just not that easy. Yeah. It's not that easy. Right. So like a lot of black communities are within food deserts and food deserts is like this really popular term that's being thrown around right now. And it's very mainstream, but I think what that kind of communicates to the population and I'm getting this really from Karen Washington, who is a food justice advocate. She says that it really calls of like this image of like the term food deserts calls of like isolated places rather than places that have enormous potential. And she rather likes to use the word food apartheid because that really talks about, and how she says it talks about what are the social injustices and inequalities that you see when you're talking about people's access to food and healthy food and what are we doing or what are we not doing about that? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the kind of conversation we need to have when we're talking about diabetes and we're talking about heart disease and we're talking about the contributions to that and food comes up and it's like, well, what is the social inequalities, the systemic inequalities behind that? Yeah. So I feel like I've been talking for a while. So (laughs) yeah. Um, Yeah. I'd like to chime in and um, go back to, you were talking about um, conditioning within the the black community of what we eat. And I would like to say like, uh, so we have to like kind of take a look back at, what it is that we as black people eat and why we eat it and to understand that I think like it's important to understand the historical conditioning um, that mm-hmm. influenced and shaped the way black people, black Americans eat. So as we know, during slavery, Africans were given the undesirable, unhealthy leftover rations of food and meat. And these meals lacked nutritional content and value and they were never really meant to keep us healthy. So after slavery yeah. ended and um, Black people were quote unquote free in the South and were able to earn, you know, a living, they were still oppressed and only had um, and could afford, you know, access to some of those same off cut pieces of meats and they, you know, same low quality mm-hmm. foods. And now don't get me wrong. They were like grateful for what they had and they did the best with it. And that's essentially actually where soul food came from. Yeah. So, um basically it originated from you know the southern african uh americans so and i i know a lot about southern food you know i was growing up in a southern <laughs> actually a little bit of experience um my great grandmother she was um she actually picked cotton for a living she also did pottery and she cooked school food for her children 
So I've seen her literally like eat the craziest parts of the pig. And I, I was always like so shocked, like, oh my God, but this is what, this is what she grew up on. This is what she knew. This is what, you know, was, was traditional for her. So I've literally yeah. seen her prepare and eat pig feet. Um, y'all know what chitlins are, right? Yep. Like yeah. Mm. Um, mm. Fat back. Mm. Uh, I did not grow up in a southern household. See, pig brain. I've seen her eat pig Ooh. brain for breakfast. It looks like scrambled eggs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ew. exactly. Girl. I mean, I, so, and that's the nutritional content of pig brain. No, because you understand what I'm saying? I grew up in a West Indian household. So, like, a lot of the foods, the basically the same things in terms of slavery we got like the the worst cuts of meat and we made it delicious like yeah. i grew up eating pig feet absolutely pig mm-hmm. tail mm-hmm. um i don't think pig ears chicken feet chicken feet soup oh my god you know mm-hmm. and you just aim to make do with what you have you know absolutely and and by all means i will say soul food is delicious but it's traditionally high in fat sodium and cholesterol yeah and again um that's the food that shaped the way black people eat in america so it contributed to the the development of health issues like diabetes hypertension high cholesterol and not a fast forward back to modern day black people and what is offered to them in our communities now it's not yeah better you understand like so what's being advertised to us and our children is literally littered with like junk food and fast food and um i was actually reading an article what was it nbc news in january 2019 and it was pointing out junk food advertising disproportionately targets black and hispanic youth contributing to health disparities and they were highlighting how tv advertising companies and programs spend millions directing um at these advertisements at black teens and over mm-hmm. the course of 2013 to 2017 it increased 50%. So, yeah, oh, wow. it, it's it's yeah, it's kind of crazy and we just we that's going back to what you were saying about Karen Washington, we need to take control over or we need to have more of a say in what is advertised or what is targeted towards our community. Mm-hmm. You know, the fast yeah, food, I, food options are marketed as super cheap and super easily accessible in our communities. So we, I mean, it, it's like a setup. But it, it is a setup. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I mean, the reason, yeah, no, the reason ahead, being is like a setup. It all stems back to, in terms of like the advertisers and how they get that demographic data. So the reason why that it's yeah. geared towards, these things are geared towards, Black and Latino communities is because the data that collected, that's what they see. So if they're going to sell ad space or advertise, they're going to go into those communities because that's where they feel they're going to make the most money. So it's like this big, it's almost like a cyclical thing, you know, it's all based upon research, which is unfortunate. But the people who do the research are primarily, you know, people that don't look like you and I. So... Yeah, exactly. And I think it's like when we talk about research, you need to talk about like how something like research is manufactured Mm -hmm. and how you have this manufacturing of unhealthy eating through research. So like if the research says, oh, black people eat unhealthy and this is the type of food that black people want. And then you go into communities and you advertise certain type of food, follow that up with having communities or supermarkets. I remember like living in Hollis, Queens and like having the produce section, the fresh produce section and like just being Mm -hmm. shit, like in terms of both like, you know, 
like fresh vegetables and meats and like all of that like and having it like literally like the meat be like having that nasty ass yellow skin on it that's like just tells that it's bad the fruit being half rotten and it's like okay so now you have black people or like then you can't get that because that's not fresh so then you go to frozen and preserved Mm -hmm. foods so then like you see so it's like it's not even like people could be cooking relatively healthy, but the ingredients that they're cooking with may not be the healthiest ingredients. Or the quality of the ingredients that you get. Prime example, a few weeks ago, I went to my local supermarket. I didn't go to the bougie one, you know, but I got meat. I was like, well, let me try it. And then Mm -hmm. when I came home and it was, even though the sell by date was a few days away, when I opened it, it was rotten. Yeah. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. It was just like, okay. Yeah. And like, it's disgusting and it's, it's gross like, what, and allowed to be accessible to us you know what are they yeah. put in our communities for us to actually consume exactly mm-hmm. exactly and it makes yeah. you kind of think in terms of like, like if you buy that pack of meat and that's all you can afford and you have to meet your feed your family when you come home and you find that it's pretty much spoiled do you still cook it and run that risk so that you have something to eat or do you throw oh. it away you know those right, are the kind yeah. of questions that kind of come And up. then even going, right. And even going outside of that, say, say you have your spoiled meats and you, or, or you're not so, so fresh fr- fruits and vegetables, you decide, you know what, let's order out. Then what is accessible in our communities to eat out exactly. as well? Yeah. You know, like we, we look up to see what's around us and it's very few juice bars or salad bars or healthy eats food places around, mm-hmm. you know, in black communities. Let's be Yeah, real. exactly. So yeah it, it's like the the lesser of two evils you have choices exactly of. yeah exactly yeah and i think like like in terms of like covid19 we all we obviously know that our diet is really connected to our health and i think like i mean youtube i could be a youtube addict a little bit but like i watch like a lot of youtube videos about how like just doctors talking about like food science and how you can just make your body healthy by what you eat alone and take care of a lot of underlying issues so like i have inflammation how is what i'm eating contributing to the inflammation that i have and like you could cure that with like turmeric you could cure that with anti-inflammatory types foods and stuff like that Ooh, Chelsea, so, CMOS. I just recently got put on to CMOS. You definitely should try CMOS. Yeah, girl. Oh, girl. CMOS? I don't know. I don't know. Listen. Uh, listen. Uh, I'm saying. I don't know what sounds I'm making. good, Chelsea. <laughs> we, we, got, we got to look into it, okay? It's so it? good. All right, I'll try it. I don't even know where I'm going to get that from, though, girl but I'll try bushy. it. I'll try to find I, it. I got you. I got you. <laughs> I'll send you some but, links. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> But like, I think of like that and we talk about healthcare and we talk about health and it's like, but where is it that we get knowledge of that? Like, how do we, like, you know, like, how is that advertised towards us? Because the YouTube videos I'm watching is not necessarily advertised towards us. And I think of like, we have unhealthy, like even like the schools that I work at and looking at the food, like where kids are supposed to be learning Mm -hmm. and you know, like schools are supposed to be the mecca of like education and just like where you gain knowledge. And a part of that knowledge should be like, how do you live your best, healthiest life? Yeah. And I could talk about this in like a numerous ways of how kids who go to maybe suburban schools or like private schools get a different type of education around mm-hmm. life skills that mm-hmm. kids from inner city 
more black populated schools yeah. do not get. So, and I mean that in terms of like finances, having students have access to like financial aid, like financial awareness classes. See, I don't even know what to call them classes because I didn't have them. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> so um, and that, like, you know, having that be like accessible to certain students and not having that be accessible to other students. I think another one of that is like the types of foods that kids have access to in, um, in cafeterias and in the schools that I worked at, I would see my students' lunches and I'll be like, how are you all eating that? How are you all not sick? How is this not fucking up your like intestines and your stomach and your gut health and everything? So I think like we really need to talk about just the education behind food. And I think that's also because like you can put healthy food in the community, but if you don't talk about like the education and how to like have people not make that choice to go to McDonald's versus yeah, going yeah. someplace else. Mm-hmm. I think that's important too. Absolutely. And that's not to say that like all black people don't know what to eat. Cause that's not true. However, I think we are, we are socially conditioned to eat There's a certain not, way. Yes. And that social conditioning starts at there a very isn't young a sense age. of balance yes. with it. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. No. Right. So, and when you say at a, a very young age, even thinking back to school lunches, like mm-hmm. school lunches when I was growing up in the nineties were gross. So <laughs> Yeah. No. They were disgusting. They were gross. I know in I was one of those kids. I was one of those kids. I was like, I'm not eating this mom. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. For lunch. I want And I, I know yeah. in two thousand twelve Michelle Obama had passed um what was it, the Healthy Hungry Free Kids Act. But I think Trump as of being president had took that away it was right like didn't he like i'm not sure i haven't heard that i'm not sure i um have a very hard time keeping track of what trump does or doesn't do yeah because i just i like at this point i can't like i just can't yeah i can't but she definitely did put a big effort out to try to help change the culture of school lunches yeah it was really great yeah oh my goodness this is so sad guys trump this is so sad obama come back Birdie, come we back. Miss you. And we this, need is like, you. <laughs> this is like perfect transition into the next topic because yes. I'm so sad that Bernie Sanders dropped out. I know. Um, I know. The race. Um, and granted, whether or not you were a Bernie Sanders supporter, I personally, and this is not a Black culture, Black thought endorsement, it's a Chelsea Reed endorsement. <laughs> I personally feel like Bernie Sanders was our best chance at beating Donald Trump. I don't see it for Joe Biden um, and I don't see it for him for many reasons. And I think one of those reasons is healthcare. And I think now more than ever, we are seeing how important healthcare is to our community safety and having mm-hmm. access to healthcare. Absolutely. And we are as healthy. And I, this meme has been going around. Um, we are as healthy as our like least insured person in this country. We are as healthy as our like, like I don't know, most unhealthiest as our unhealthiest person in this country. I'm not trying to do whatever that um, you don't even know what that thing is called. Anyways, so gr- grammar thing. But um, we like and Bernie Sanders. He really was a big supporter and a big advocate for his whole political career of having a Medicare for all system. And I think that's truly what we need. And with 17 million people losing their jobs within the last three weeks hmm. and losing their access to health insurance for like a majority, I don't want to say the majority of them because I don't think a lot of people have access to health insurance anyways. Not all workers, especially the workers who are being fired are service workers and they may not get health insurance with their jobs. So that's another story. Hmm. But 
um, ha- having our jobs be linked to, or having our healthcare be linked to the jobs that we have, and not having people have access to that now in this time, and then having Biden say that he would veto a bill, if like a Medicare for all bill, even if it passed the Congress, is completely unheard of to me. I just don't understand yeah. it. It makes no sense. And I think that this is really a reason why, in part, why this COVID-19 is turning out to be as big as a disaster as it is and why it's impacting the Black community specifically the way it mm. is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like there was a 17-year-old boy in Lancaster, California, who died of COVID-19 after mm-hmm. he was turned away from the hospital because he did not have insurance. He was black. And I think also when we think about COVID-19, we don't think of um, people who, we don't think of young people dying from this, you know, and, but he is young and he died and he, it was reported that he didn't have any underlying health conditions. I'm not exactly sure what the follow-up is on that. But also just to kind of like. I don't want to step on yeah. things, but correct you, but he wasn't black. He was actually Latino. And um, and he didn't have any, that was the oh, question. Okay. Like he didn't have any underlying health conditions. But when it first came out that he had passed away, it was initially reported that he had COVID-19. And then, uh, and then when they said, he, and he was turned away because he didn't have health insurance. But then the other immediate reports right after that started to double back on it, saying, well, they're not so sure if he had COVID-19 because pe- there was the beginning of a backlash mm-hmm. to say, what? Well, wait a second. So you didn't choose to see this child because he didn't have health insurance. And then the hospital was saying, well, we're just going to have to wait yeah. until the autopsy is done to confirm mm-hmm. whether or not if he had COVID-19. And then his family came out and said, mm-hmm. no, he had COVID-19. So they were trying to do a cover up. Yeah. That's what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And that's just ridiculous. Wow. Like, it's ridiculous that they tried to do that because it's like... Yeah. Yeah. How? Uh, like, yeah. You, yeah. You, you, you clearly didn't care. Like, yes, yeah. you, turn, yes yeah. you turned away somebody Basically. who had COVID-19 and didn't have no. insurance. No. Period. You can't do that. You that's can't that's right literally that. their blood on your hand. The, I hate to say it, it's like this weird, odd... I would I would yeah, say like yeah. catch twenty two. I never really you know if I utilize that term all that well, but it's like I could understand if the patient was of a certain age, maybe over the age of eighteen and didn't have health insurance. But this is a child, you know. Regardless of whether or not, and the fact that I have to say this, whether regardless yeah. of whether or not he had health insurance or not, he's a seventeen years old to me as a child and deserves to be seen. You get paid when you get paid if you get paid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 And like, I think, like, I think a part of like universal health care is like also like universally coming Mm -hmm. up with like a standard pricing for health treatment. And the treatment for COVID-19 is through the roof expensive. It's ridiculous. And like, we're talking about ventilators and people and like, you know, going on life-saving treatment, that's expensive treatments. I think the bill for being treated for COVID-19 is like in the $10,000 range for one person I saw. And if you don't have health insurance, they're going to turn you away. And if you are low income, Mm -hmm. because you you don't Mm -hmm. have health insurance, you're most likely lower income and you can't afford to have health insurance. Mm -hmm. Hospitals will turn you away. Like they're firing doctors right now. Yeah. Like they're firing doctors and cutting pay from Mm -hmm. doctors, from ER doctors, Mm -hmm. from people who are treating COVID-19. So 
they are not above turning away people who are infected with it. And that is a problem because those who are most likely going to be turned away are going to be lower income people, Mm -hmm. are going to be black and brown people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it seems like they're expendable. That's the word right there. That's the idea. They are expendable. Yeah. You know, which is unfortunate to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's yeah. Cause then like, we could also talk about the type of care that people are receiving once they do get into the hospital too. Like, you know, and, and like I said, we were talking about this in the show notes, like before we started, and I just want to make it very clear this is not an attack at any, like on any doctors, but cause I think right now the doctors are, they're sacrificing so much right now. They're sacrificing seeing their families. They're sacrificing their own healthcare. Literally doctors are dying from treating this and okay. they are stepping up in a way that I don't think mm-hmm. many doctors thought that they would have to step up when they decided to become a doctor. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I don't think doctors think that I'm going to have to step up and like risk my life in order to do my job. I don't think that's what doctors do unless they join the military and decide to be like a military doctor. Right. Right. Um, But I think when we talk about um, black people and its relationship with healthcare and its treatment within the healthcare system, it's not always the best treatment. It's not always, Mm. um, we don't always get the best care. And I'm not saying that this is what's happening right now. I think doctors are probably trying to do what's best, the best that they can do within any, within any patient that they have that they're seeing that has COVID-19. But I think like, like, for a hospital to turn away a patient Absolutely. because they don't have And also kind of going back to doctors, we actually kind of have to, not only they're on the front line and, and, and we have to question about, you know, how they're going to care for us as like black and brown people. We also have to thank three black doctors in Virginia who actually brought it to people's attention, the fact that black people and Latino people are dying at, at a faster rate. Before all mm-hmm. this came out last week in yeah. the New York Times and all the news and every all, mm-hmm. I hate to say, it, mainstream media started talking about, you know, the racial disparity with deaths with, with COVID. These doctors said, you know, this is what we're noticing in our hospitals. And I feel as if as though that the government should start to actually take a look at the racial disparity, um, the racial disparity within COVID. And no one was listening to them until um, I believe it was Hannah Nicole Brown. Yeah. I always get her name wrong. The woman who did 1619, she wrote an article about it and it blew up from there. Yeah. 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 So this has been going on for like the past couple of weeks. I mean, the article with the doctors from Virginia was in the Washington Post and it was really interesting, but no one really paid attention to it. Yeah. Hmm. Nope. 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 Of course not. Yeah. 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 This is just sad. It's just all so maddening. It's so heartbreaking to know that. You know, I mean, there, there. Of course, I'm, I'm sure, like, it's something that's going to come with big change afterwards yeah. because it's, it's in everyone's faces now. No one can ignore it. You know. Yeah, but and I mean, yeah, the fact that everyone has to like a suffering has to happen before that happens. You know, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. But I think, like, I hope we keep the same energy. Yeah. Like, you know, I think a lot of people are like. Yes, we need to have healthcare for all. A lot of people are talking about we need to 
you know, treat essential workers and pay essential workers a lot more than what they're pay, being paid now because we now realize people who maybe work at fast food restaurants, who work at drugstores, who work exactly. at the supermarkets play a huge role in our yeah. everyday to day life. Yeah. And they are now being called essential. So, yeah. yeah. And like, and, and these people are risking their lives. And in New Orleans, I can say that. I go into the supermarket, the people who I see behind the counters and restocking Mm -hmm. the shelves are predominantly black and brown people. Um, People who I see who working at the bodegas are predominantly black and brown people Mm -hmm. um, who are working in fast food restaurants. And I don't know how much of this is them saying that, oh, I want to do my job versus I need to do my job. Otherwise I get fired. Yeah. You know? Yeah, there was actually a a story that I recently, it tore me up. Oh my gosh, it was this woman um, on the news speaking about her daughter, Leilani, who was working at uh, like a a grocery store. Mm -hmm. And she was putting herself, like she was, she actually, I believe believe she had, um, let me not get it wrong. I believe she had a form of several palsy or something like that. I, I would double check mm-hmm. it to make sure. But um, basically she was adamant about coming to work and being helpful and helping her bosses and making sure everybody, she was mainly helping the older people who needed help with oh, their groceries yeah. and stuff. And she ended up um, contracting the virus and passing away. And after she passed away is when she, she worked there for six years, by the way, after she passed away, her boss gave her mother her five year pin achievement uh or a letter you know of like uh, acknowledgement huh. that she should have received a year ago and yeah. her check for the last two weeks which was twenty dollars and some cents no so, ridiculous her mother mm-hmm. was torn up like you gotta be kidding me you understand yeah. and at any point you know maybe the the the, the, the big issue was there was no type of gloves or any type of ppe given in the store for workers so it was mm. like that was a big issue and that's another thing too like the people these essential workers who are working they're not being properly protected yeah. they're not being given yeah. the, the the essential protections you understand for essential essential workers to continue mm-hmm. to be essential <laughs> basically I, I know i overuse the word essential but no worries <laughs> but it's, it's really crucial small things like that can make a big difference so yeah yeah and I think like we also like it's just like every aspect of working right now is so yeah. dangerous yeah. and I think like we could go into like people of color people who are black and brown specifically I don't want to say people of color because it doesn't apply to all people of color mm-hmm. but people who are black and brown have a harder time getting loans for a car and can't buy a car so therefore are taking public transportation to get to work and like public transportation is running at a fewer frequency than it was before. So these cr- these trains and buses are now overcrowded yeah. and you now created a condition where you have fewer trains running. So therefore you have more people in train cars and now people are on top of each other. Mm-hmm. And I think like my friends, I've been talking to friends who are saying like, you know, every time I go outside, I just see black and brown people going to work and like, it's heartbreaking. I see them putting their lives at risk every day to continue living and taking care of people and taking care of a society that doesn't take care of them. That's not taking care of them in this moment. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, so it's just showing you how expendable that they are. And yet they're still showing up and doing it. And 
I don't think a lot of that is out of heroics. And like, because I think that when you say it's out of heroics, that you get to like kind of excuse it and you get to excuse the, the underlying issues, but it's out of necessity. Like they have to, to, yeah. to continue living their lives. And like, when are we as a society going to be like, wait, we need to have at least at least a higher paying minimum wage. Absolutely. I'm going to go back to my Bernie Sanders platform. Um, but really everybody should have a minimum base income that is livable. Yeah. And if it's like, you know, we need to make, and then this, we can even go into housing. We need to make housing more livable. Um, because like we, and we talk about gentrification, we talk about neighborhoods that are predominantly black that are now being gentrified and people are being placed out of. So therefore, going further out of the city limits, mm-hmm. further away from jobs. That, I mean, just um, in New York, they're saying that, um, so, that the reason yeah. why there's such an uptick um, with the infection between black and brown people and death of black and brown people is solely because of the MTA system. And a lot of them ask, a lot of people are begging, like, please add more trains onto the system. Because if you look at yeah. images during rush hour here, it's like everyone's back to back on top of each other. Um, the ethnic makeup of everyone sitting and or standing are black and brown. Yeah. You see, you know, and it's just, it's just kind of say, well, you know, okay. they have to go to yeah. work, even if it means adding two or three more trains during those rush hour, that'll be a big difference in trying to stamp down the curve mm-hmm. and keeping these people alive. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think of like, mm-hmm. also, I think a part of it is mm-hmm. just kind of like the overcrowding of New York City as an in general, but, and I want to be careful with this part, because I don't want to make it seem like I'm saying all black people in New York City live in public housing. That's not true. Um, not all brown people in New York City live in public housing. Not all brown people, black people in the United States live in public housing. Mm-hmm. But I think the majority of public housing is made up by black and brown people mm-hmm. and um and especially when we talk about like projects and stuff like that and how that has been created by design and that is yeah. something that I think we need to be very aware of and very and speak on it how we developed the projects in the 30s because we wanted to have black people mm-hmm. in the 1930s because we wanted to have black people live in a very specific area of town mm-hmm. we kept black people from buying houses during that time because we that this is like explicit policy that made it so that you could take out a mortgage and it will be cheaper than your rent but that was not given across the board and there was mm-hmm. actually like specific policy saying that you basically redlining you're just descri- you're, you're describing are. redlining yeah so when we talk about yeah mm-hmm. redlining yeah yeah so and this is still happening today. There was a study in Long Island. I think I talked about it on the podcast at one point, but there's a study in Long Island where they were still doing redlining and like was talking about like how they would like gear black people to a certain point of town, would gear white yep. people to a certain point of town. Uh, or if a black person mm-hmm. did happen to move in and into a white neighborhood, mm-hmm. then they would, you know, move white families out of that neighborhood. White flight will then begin. And so, and then the, like the, then that, the care of that neighborhood started to deteriorate. Um, you look into projects and you have them being overpopulated. Exactly. And yet that's also becomes a risk in and of itself. So now leaving your house to throw your garbage out, leaving your house to go downstairs to pick up your mail, 
is now becoming a problem because you have mm-hmm. like a lot of people living in a very well, small area. That's, that's not just city being fair. That, that's but it's going to be the next big explosion in the project house, the night of housing, you know, because everyone's, mm-hmm. you know, for lack of a better term, on top of each other. And then you also have to think yeah. of in terms of housing. I don't know. I noticed it around here yeah. where I live is that a lot of the young black kids have been hanging out on the street. And I was having a conversation about that just yesterday about the reasoning why it's just like, well, what is their home life like, you know, that they just feel the need that they have to, you know, we're in these apartment buildings, we're on top of each other, they just need that space. So when you have all your family in maybe like a one bedroom, two bedroom, three bedroom house, you just need to get outside. So you're 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 in tune. You're again like running the risk of your yeah. life just to kind of yeah. hang out with your boys, just so you can get some sort of space. Yeah, mm. and I think that that is something that is not unique to people who live in public housing, but like in New York City in general, we like you're talking about very small spaces. Like you know, like all apartments are very small, and that is yeah. only it's that smallness is only heightened in public housing right that the problems that you would see in any new york city housing Mm -hmm. like in any new york city building in any given new york city building you're going to see roaches you're going to see mice you're going to see having problems with your ac or your heat with your water um and then only that gets more heightened in public housing like public housing and we've had i have had students who've dealt with it and like the problems that they had to deal with and the landlords Mm -hmm. and working with like the city and everything it's just like it's it could be a nightmare. It's yeah. you can't you can't work with it. Like you know, like um, even exactly. the care of public housing and mm-hmm. the whole scandal around the lead that was in the public housing that was being talked about, and mm-hmm. still having that be an issue. That was also an issue I know at some public schools too, like asbestos and lead, and like still having it not be told to disclose to students um that happened someplace where i work they did not disclose it to students so then you you don't even let the people know who are going to be affected by it that they're being affected oh, by lovely it. yeah um and it was in the water like lead in the water and yeah they did not disclose <laughs> that to students i told my students i was like well y'all ain't gonna drink the water pass the message along let's okay? write <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, yeah. but just just understand this i'm telling you not to drink yeah. the water see this face i'm giving you the you better trust me face okay right. but, so yeah but no and i also want to just kind of bring up because i think when we talk about we were talking about with the housing and like dense populations being more susceptible to getting COVID 19 mm-hmm. that's also very true and we're starting to see that in prisons. We're starting yeah. to see that in um, shelters. So we need to like, and I think prisons is like, it's, I think that's going to be like a new epicenter where you have people who are in prison mm-hmm. and we all know black people make up a disproportionate amount of prison inmates in this country. Yeah. We are in the country that imprisons the most people. Um, and it's a disproportionate amount of people to our country's population. And within that, I mean, some, black people make up a disproportionate amount of inmates within that true, number. Some, so oh, sorry. something that I saw at um, so much risk right now on yeah. online and, yeah. was about a, a minimum security prison in Ohio. And this guy was basically showing for lack of the COVID ward. 
and he was showing someone that was pretty much dying and he was asking for help because yeah. he was like he doesn't really know what to do because they don't really have that many doctors there yeah. or they're just kind of putting everyone into this ward and having other prisoners take care of um yeah prisoners who are ill and he was saying he he was like, I he was he was saying that he has oh, like maybe wow. three more months on his time, That's and he was wild. like, I don't want to die here. And he was like, all of us, you know, we're doing our time, and and we're on a way of being out. Like, why mm-hmm. is it that, you know, we have to put our lives at risk for this? Like, what's who who's here to help us? It was it was heartbreaking. He was like basically begging right, for help. Yeah. You know. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Mm. That is heartbreaking. And even to go back to when um, the idea of having inmates mass produce um, the yeah. hand sanitizer, in which hand sanitizer they are they don't even have accessible to them to them. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that was like a ridiculous idea to me. I was like, are you crazy? Yeah. Like, yeah. and, and that, I think that's like, slave work. Listen, for real. Like you guys yeah, were not. It is. It's, yeah. it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It's disgusting. And it's mm-hmm. like, and I think like the way Como did that and the way he brought that forward was absolutely horrendous in that. And look, we got, we got hand sanitizer made by our finest inmate. Like, it's like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's disgusting. Cause when we, cause prisons are not, they are not known for their Sanitary cleansiness. Condition. They're not known for their sanitate, 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 yeah. sanitation. Sanitation. <laughs> I was like, sanitation. Yeah, sanitation. <laughs> Thank you. It's a quarantine day, whatever. Like, we're feeling it. Um, but, you know, like, they're not known for being clean. Shelters are not known for being clean. And you're putting people at a heightened risk that you don't need to put mm-hmm. people at. People who are there for nonviolent crimes like they shouldn't be there and i like know that cities are now like releasing people um oh yeah for low-level crimes yeah for low-level crimes but like a too little too late um like this should have been done when this was first like everything is too little too late with this whole covid19 um reaction and government response Mm -hmm. um we should have learned from china but like you know we, we know you, who to blame. We you still have people who, who went to church yesterday mm-hmm. thinking that they were going to get sick from going to like a mass church service. So, you know, mm-hmm. we don't learn our lessons here. And yet we have the most cases in, and, and out of any given country. We, this we country, don't give a fuck. This country so. initially did not take it serious at all. Starting with the yeah. head of this country, mm-hmm. of course, we know yeah. exactly, did not take this shit serious at all. So, of course, mm-hmm. we're behind the curve. Of course, we're late yeah. on all of this stuff because we didn't take it serious. Yeah. And I think, like, most things in this country, that the impact is going to be, obviously, we're seeing the impact is being felt the most on black Absolutely. and brown people. Yep, yep, yep. So, all right. Um no. Is there anything else you guys I mean, want to say? Sorry, we kind of covered ahead. all our topics within this. I mean, yeah. No, I was just gonna, you know, just go over. It. I mean, of course, there's there's always hope, you know, to, to yeah. situations get better. As far as like the food situation goes, I will say that um, in in the black communities, I will say within the last few years, I have seen um, more health food stores 
popping up like vegan spots mm-hmm. I'll say. that's what i'll say vegan spots yeah um of course like like you mentioned earlier that's not always accessible to everyone everyone can't afford some of the um like the vegan spot food because sometimes that's low pricey i'm not going front but for yeah. the most part as, as long as it's being accessible that's a plus that's a plus yeah so, um, i think yeah i think i think i'm like you know i'm trying to see the the silver linings, the hope that's there. I think the um, boycotts that was happening with Amazon, yeah, Instacart, Uber yeah. Eats. I think that was like really nice. Um, I don't know if Uber Eats actually went on um, on uh, boycott or not. But Instacart did, and that I was think, kind of crazy. I thought that was crazy yeah. how people were doing. And it. I think it's. I think that's, yeah, I think it's important that they did it, though, because, like, yeah, they provide such an essential service right now to people who cannot leave their homes, who are on quarantine, or who just don't want to leave their homes, and then yet you have these people who are, like, putting their lives at risk, and they're not being any, like, any paid, like, getting paid any hazard fee, not increasing in pay, so, like, no. Yeah. They were actually being, like, tricked with the Instacart situation. I'm, I'm just, let, me, let me just go over this real quick. You know how like a lot of workers who were like um, picking up these orders, the, the, the shopper would be like tricking them and saying, oh, I'm going to tip them a $50 tip. But Instacart, oh, allows, wow. Instacart allows a few days for you to change that tip. So at the end of it all, they were putting their tip to zero after all of oh, the shopping was done. And this happened that's to a up. lot of Instacart workers, which I think is so messed up because these people are really relying on these yeah. tips at this moment. And they're putting themselves in a lot of danger just to make sure your family is good. So I think that that protest or that um, uh, boycott is was very important because that yeah. the, you got to change something about that. About Instacart the, has to do something. Yeah. The, you know, the tip thing. I that's read ridiculous. that the other I didn't day. Even hear about that. I found that yeah. yeah. horrific. I was like, yeah. how, who are you as a person to do, to do that to somebody else? All because you are afraid to go out and get that toilet paper, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, who are you as that? You must be like, huh. I hate right. yeah. humans are horrible, but you gotta yeah. be like a really callous, um, heart, you know, I will say, I'll say a horrible human being to do that to somebody else, you know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's just really mischievous work that goes behind someone like that. It's yeah. crazy. And it's it's like where do you get to like what other job mm-hmm. do you get to have where you get to sign yeah. up for like an expected pay and you get just get to revoke that pay yeah. after yeah. the yeah. job is done. Like yeah. that's not how working like it, no, like Instacart needs to change that. If somebody has a problem with their delivery, they could take it up with Instacart and then Instacart yeah. could take it up with that person, like how other places do it. I can't do that on yeah. Uber Eats. And I've had yeah. a guy who was a horrible Uber Eats delivery guy and I wanted my tip back, but I couldn't get it back. Like, you know. You can with Uber Eats as well. I heard Uber oh. Eats has a time limit. And what they what Instacart did change so far was the only thing they changed was originally they had an option that said like no tip. They took that option away so that you have to be forced to put zero, no. which supposed is supposed to incline a person to feel bad. But people don't know that. So yeah. No. Especially when they yeah, have the option putting something initially and then changing it like an hour yeah. later. So that's ridiculous. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it's the, and then also like you know Stokely Carmichael says that 
you can't argue with somebody that doesn't have a conscience. Like you yeah. can't like if yeah. somebody doesn't have a yep. conscience, they don't have a conscience, and like you can't do like reason with them. Like yeah. it's just it doesn't work. So yeah, but then um, I think so. Yeah, I do get hope from that from like those two demonstrations. However, Amazon fired I think one of the, at least one of the people who organized it. I think it was two people. Oh, but so there's that. Like you know so. It's always like this give and take. And I think like with the stimulus bailout, yeah, cool, not doing nearly enough. But yet you see how those business, like businesses are being protected. And like, I want us to shift from a business centered, capitalist centered mind frame and go from a people centered socialist mind frame. And I think that that is so important. And I think that this is the time to really kind of get that messaging across because people are living it every day. People are saying that I want health insurance that's not connected to my job. I want um, a minimum base income that's more than just a one twelve hundred dollar check. No, no, so I, I think it's I was, really I was time just to basically agree. I, I think that was the time practice. because I mean, all that Sorry, it's basically showing mm-hmm. all the cracks in our system, and it's affecting people who will normally will turn a blind eye to the cracks, you know. And so the conversation, yeah. I mean, is becoming like a, a more socialist. I would say mm-hmm. country, but um, could quite possibly, maybe not this administration that's upcoming, but maybe you know in twenty twenty four, it 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 is the conversation is really is really happening, and people who normally don't listen are listening. Yeah, mm-hmm. because it's directly affecting them. It's almost as have to say you have to feel to learn, and yeah. everyone is yeah. feeling, and everyone is learning. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, and, that, and that, I that, think... Um, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to just mm-hmm. agree with and jump on top of that and say, yeah, literally, we don't... People don't react until it hits home, until it affects mm-hmm. them personally. So this is... And honestly, this is something that unfortunately is going to affect every single American in some way. Yeah, so that's exactly what I was going to say. Attention. Yeah. yeah, this is something that's going to highlight yeah. everybody's situations everybody's eyes have to be mm-hmm. open and everybody mm-hmm. has to take you know some type of stance somewhere and make mm-hmm. something happen in this i think yeah yeah i think like i think of this to me like i think is going to have the same effect that like 9-11 had on new york city people and new yorkers where it's like if you were in new york city and living there for a while during that time you knew somebody who was either in the building, around the building, or knew somebody who knew a parent, like family member. I think it's the same way with cancer. You knew you know somebody who's going to die of cancer, whose family's affected by that. And I think this is going to be like on that level where you're going, and the whole country is going to feel it. Where you're going to know somebody who's going to either get sick from COVID nineteen, who's going to die of COVID nineteen, yeah. and it's very unfortunate mm-hmm. and it's very heartbreaking yeah. um, because I think that it did not need to be this many people that, and I think it's going to be a very high number of people. And on that note, scary. So yeah. Yeah. I'm like, well, that's a very sad note to leave on, but (laughs) I was just about to actually raise it up a little bit. I was going to say, you know what, on a lighter note, (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, hey, light it up, light it up for us because I'm like, I'm damn, go crying, I'm lighting it, just you know, to light it damn. up. <laughs> no hope, no hope, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, we're all still staying very hopeful, and all in all, I think, as I said earlier in the beginning, it's just really important to kind of ha- still have a, a some type of 
schedule for yourself, stay stay productive, or you know what, necessarily, you don't necessarily have to stay productive. If what you don't want to, if you don't need to stay, or staying productive is actually more chaotic for you, then rest, you know, like, but do whatever makes you feel best at this time of quarantine, do whatever it is that eases you. Um, I I would say stay alert and stay in tune, but don't consume yourself with the news because that shit is depressing, Mm -hmm. you know, so yeah, we just, yeah. This is the time I definitely didn't need to keep contacts and stay connected and stay prayed up. So that's, Mm -hmm. that's what I have hope for that. There's going to be more deeper connections that come from this and more love, hopefully put out in the world from this. Yeah. And like, I was talking, I have therapy today. So I was talking to my therapist earlier and I was just like, you know, I feel so guilty for like, cause I don't feel productive. And she's like, no, Chelsea, like you like surviving this is being productive you waking up every day and being healthy is productive and it should then she's like and I just kind of like I left that therapy session just being like if all that I get out of this is like figuring out a way how to like manage through and work through my anxieties because I feel like I get very unproductive because I deal with a lot of anxiety so like that stops me from doing things so and then like I was telling her that like I think that's like why I'm like feeling like very unproductive because I have so much anxiety and it's like Mm -hmm. if I can like figure out how to like just get through my anxiety and work through it then that to me is productivity like you know and like breathing through it. So I think we need to like come up with different definitions of productivity. We also need to realize that productivity is a product of capitalism and it's not a healthy product of capitalism. Um, she also gave me the resource. I love that um, ministry. Nap ministries. Yes. Which prioritizes I've been following them for months. They're amazing. As a form of resistance. <laughs> so. And I love my yes. nap. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So. Everybody join, join, go, go to that ministry, join it. Let's become resistance with, cause like, I think that's also like what this time is telling us yeah. is that nobody's like, nobody's going to work as hard as they were working before. It's not possible. Right. And it's just not. And our economy is going to take a hit and that's okay, but it's not a hit because this people is, aren't working as hard. This is my take on because people, we everything. Have jobs. Like, I you know, firmly believe this by, is, yeah. you know, so, mother nature's way and the universe's way of telling us to slow down you know it's basically they've been telling us for years you know little things Uh you know climate change but we don't we don't choose to listen so kind of going back to be like you need to feel to learn so this is i always feel like this is like the universe is saying like this is what could happen if you don't slow down start to take stock Uh in your take a look at yourself, take a look at your life and just kind of mm-hmm. aim to make a change for the better, not only for yourself, but for the world. If you want this world to continue, you know, no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. I think that this is a time for us. Yeah. To, and I don't like, I don't think it needs to be more than one. Just address one thing mm-hmm. that you want to address about yourself. I think that this is like a time where things are being reflected as a mirror and like you are spending so much time with yeah. yourself. If Well, I not, not, let me not even say that. I have the luxury of spending so much time with myself right now. Um, not everybody has the luxury. Parents don't yeah. have that luxury. Essential workers don't have that luxury. Yeah. People who live with multiple people in a small space don't have that luxury. So... Yeah. You were, but you're spending, mm-hmm. I think like everybody is at least having 
is being confronted with a version of themselves that they have to confront. Absolutely. And I think that if exactly. you can just pick one aspect of exactly. that, like that version to exactly. focus on during this time, then that's like and that's a, a wonderful success. way to end, so, Chelsea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, y'all. Yeah. So. <laughs> Own it, right? woman. Oh, look at Chelsea. <laughs> now, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, like, let's see. I'm a Chelsea being all... Um, but yeah, so thank you everybody for tuning in. We're going to try to get another episode out soon. Um, again, this is affecting our personal lives and affecting our family. So we record when we have the time to record, when we are not overwhelmed or, you know, so...